Welcome to Feminist Erotica, a podcast from Rebellious Magazine for Women. Join Jera, Karen, and Princess for stimulating interviews that explore feminist representations of desire, as well as short and sweet erotic snippets read by the authors themselves. This episode is sponsored by Just the Tip, Rebellious Magazine's inclusive sex and relationship advice column where you'll find interviews with sexuality researchers and educators, as well as compassionate responses to anonymous questions. Check it out at rebelliousmagazine.com slash just dash the dash tip. We're streaming. We chose this for our first book club, Anne Shade's book, Femtales, which is a feminist fairy tale retelling of Three fairy tales featuring same-sex couplings. So everybody in the book club loved it, which um, and was a <laughs> Thank you. We're really excited to talk to you, and I will hand it over to Karen and Princess and be watching Facebook. All right. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. It's very exciting for us um, to be able to talk to an author. I mean, frankly, that's why that's secretly why we started the podcast like really that's just why is that we get to just reach out to others and be like no no we're not just creepy people who read you we have a podcast so well I'm, I'm flattered you've asked me on and read my book thank you thank you princess do you want to say anything before I start the first question I just want to say that I really enjoyed reading the book thank you part of the reason why I wanted to read was because my name is princess and I was like uh we absolutely need to start our first book club with a fairy tale same-sex black coupling thing like what like that's a no-brainer so uh it was very selfish of me (laughs) to make sure that you were here with us and we are excited uh, to talk to you and talk about these stories because I clearly need to find an ebony and a chase and a cast to be friends with um so that they can open a restaurant and serve brunch there that's you what go. i'm really excited about <laughs> in harlem <laughs> in harlem in fact that was one of the quotes that i wrote down from the book club was i want to go to chase chase's restaurant <laughs> like that is something that people absolutely walked away with like no we need to make that happen i'm just saying if you know a, a chef who can open a restaurant and make some bomb sweet potato fries there is a branding franchising opportunity waiting for you i'm i'm i hey i'm putting it out there (laughs) anybody out there that knows anybody that wants to connect (laughs) i'm here (laughs) so many layers of of opportunities here um so i guess our first question is how did you decide to do this this way and someone else in the book club said that you know obviously there are a lot of fairy tale retellings in romance and erotica romance erotica but not this way and I think what she said was it seems so obvious like why have we not done this before so (laughs) I guess that's the first question how did you decide to to do it well that's one reason because no one has done it before that I've read and they're my three favorite fairy tales I wanted to put them in a light that represented not only me um, but people I know um, beautiful strong black women um, in the community and I wanted to do it in a way where in most fairy tales, the princess always seems so meek and, you know, and no, <laughs> that wasn't happening in my fairy tale. In my mind, 
princesses were not meek. They were they were strong, and and I wanted to do that, and that's why I did it. Princess, do you have anything to say about that? <laughs> you know, I have things to say about that. Absolutely, uh, that's part of the reason why I was really here for a, a lot, all of the stories in the book, and why our uh, book club readers were also uh, enjoyed the stories was that the the princess characters they all had backbone. They all stood up for themselves and had autonomy and said what it is they needed and wanted. Uh, that really resonated with our readers and with me in particular. That was important to me to, mm -hmm. to show that. That she didn't, even though, even though they don't have a prince per se, um, they have a princess, I didn't want anyone having to save anybody. And actually with Ebony, she was saved by the princess, so we're going to jump around bear with us um one yeah, <laughs> one of the things that struck me i think one of the things that we all really enjoyed and that the other folks in the booklet club really enjoyed wait how did you put it princess it's like the marble like the multiverse <laughs> like the, it. yes thank you yeah like the, the black queer multiverse you put uh, all of them <laughs> together i tried yeah i tried to give a little bit of everybody so that whoever read it could see themselves in the characters mm -hmm. And, and also love to being able linked, to call right? back, yeah, and being able to call back to uh, characters across stories and also see a little bit of how they um, interacted with each other outside of the context of their relationships was really something that I think resonated. Yeah, that was that was my favorite part of doing it. Um, when I started it, I was going to make them just extremely different pieces, but then I thought about it and I said, well, the ball had to wrap it all up. So, you know, the, the ball and the kind of, but then how would I do that if they were all three different people or three different stories? So I had to connect them some way. And the best way to do that was through the characters and through three friendships and how they supported each other through whatever they were going through with their relationships. So what was um, kind of what was your writing process like, if you can describe that, like deciding on these, you know, loving these fairy tales and deciding on them and deciding, I don't see this anywhere. I'm just going to create it. How did that what was the writing process like for that? It was doing a lot of research on the actual fairy tales, the original fairy tales, making sure that I tried to stay as somewhat true to the story as possible, you know, so that when you read it, you still saw the fairy tale within the story. The only one I wanted to stay away from with that, because the original story for Sleeping Beauty is not that she's kissed awake. So I don't know if anyone knows that. But Sleeping Beauty was not, you know, lovingly kissed awake. So she was, she was, I won't even go into it, but look up the original story for Sleeping Beauty. Um. <laughs> it was not the Disney, Disney version? No, no, no? Okay. Right. so far from it. Yeah, <laughs> so I just wanted to make sure that I try to stick within the parameters of the storyline that you still recognize the fairy tales within it. And then once I did that, then I started kind of recreate, I had to recreate, I had to create the characters and, you know, who would represent Beast best and who else but a hardcore rapper, you know, someone who's been through some stuff and who has turned into a cold, you know, hard and, you know, doesn't seem like she feels anything, but deep down, she's a mush. Um, who would best represent that? And that's, that's how, that's, once I got Ebony in, Every, everyone else just started falling into place. That was the hardest one, was trying to make sure I found the perfect beast. Without it falling into stereotypes or without, you know, there's so many, right? The angry black yeah. woman, how do you, how do you have this character who's relatable and- 
Exactly. And her sister gives her her soft side and her, her, you know, Mama Ellis gives her her soft side. So we know that there's a soft side to the beast, just like with, within Beauty and the Beast, the, the characters, the teacups and the pot, you know, Mrs. Potts, all of them gave the, the beast his soft side. So I needed to have characters within her in that story that you, you know, didn't have that stereotypical mad stud black woman. I think it really came across that in reading it and now thinking back, I'm like, yeah, Ebony really did feel like the anchor to the rest of the story and being able to lead into where the rest of the stories went into. Like that was very intentional. And, and yeah, and that's why once I had her, the rest of the everything fell into place. Was it challenging to incorporate pieces of original source material or did that come a little bit easier once you had uh, Ebony down? It came a little easier. Like, and same thing with um, Stiletto. I, I tried to stay away from the original story where Cinderella was so meek and she was picked, she was just pretty much just beat up on. Um, I didn't want that. And, you know, I had to make sure that Faith was not that type of person. She, she had to be strong, but I still stuck with the story where she had the evil stepfather and stepsisters. So it, it wasn't hard. Once I, once I got the main characters down, weaving in the story wasn't as hard as it, you would think it would be. I was just thinking, actually, Stiletto, I'm, I'm giving myself away that Stiletto was my favorite. And, um, <laughs> you know, I, I also enjoyed that the kind of the fairy godmother character in that story is this beautiful Black man. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I feel like her lawyer was yeah. really, really yeah. plays that role for her. I love yeah. that. So you caught that. And not all the people have mentioned that. Oh, no. I just thought of it right now. <laughs> just, like, literally just, that was okay, my intention, it. though. I, wanted, okay. I, I, did, I never said anything. Whenever I do these talks, I never mention it. But I want to see if anyone ever catches it. So even though it's, you just caught it, I love that you caught it. <laughs> What made you decide to center masculine, uh, uh, masculine characters as those, as like the foundation with Ebony and everyone else? Because I think for me, probably the most uh, surprising thing that came across was I was expecting with Femme Tales to see all uh, feminine characters and women in the book. So what made you make the choice to make kind of the anchoring of the books masculine women? Because masculine lesbians are not featured as being romantic and soft and loving in, in a lot of stories that I read. They're featured as being hard and thugs and, you know, and I know too many, I played football. So 90% of my team were lesbian women. And I'll say 75% of them were masculine lesbian women. And they were humorous, they were loving, they were, I mean, they were not what this stereotypical um, idea of, of a masculine lesbian is. And, and there are three different types of masculine lesbians because Ebony is the hard, you know, she, she is the serious stud. And then you have Chase, who's kind of androgynous, you know, she's, and today she would probably be a they rather than she. And with Chaz, it, it, it um, cha- <laughs> I forgetting all my characters. <laughs> um, the okay. cast, she was a kind of a mix between the two. So it was, I thought it was a good mix to also give them, you know, I just wanted to show them in a good light. I wanted to show beautiful masculine lesbian women. So did you play 
football in New York or in Chicago? New York. Oh, okay. So you didn't play, did you play against the force? So we no, had a, okay. no, I know who you're talking about. I know the Chicago force. Um, <laughs> we played, we played mostly on up in this area. The only time we would have played the force is if we would have ever made it to the, the playoffs or to our Super Bowl finale. So um, I only played for two years. So I was already retired by the time they actually made it to, you know, our Super Bowl, but I loved it either way. It was so, I mean, the force, they, they don't play anymore, but it was so much fun. And I'm like looking to make sure my partner's outside. I had crushes on so many force players. Oh my goodness. Yeah, she's still outside. Yeah. And so okay. that's question. Huh. Professional. Um, I, that really means a lot. Um, that that means a lot. You saying how you know it was important uh, to you to show the vastness of uh, masculine women because yeah, a lot of the representation we get is uh, so very stereotypical, uh, so very hard lined, um, and and that's just not who we are as like people. Um, yeah. So that's what really. I was like, where is my people? Because uh, this is it. Like, oh my God, this is exactly uh, how how they were so willing to, you know, create this romance uh, for the women that they were in love with, uh, which is very endearing and, and something that I really connected with in each of the story. Um, can you talk a little bit about the 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 dynamic, the the kind of butch femme dynamic that you uh, decided to put in each story? Um, I wouldn't say it's a stereotypical butch femme dynamic because especially with um, Ebony and Belinda because Belinda becomes more um, aggressive as the story goes along um, and Ebony's kind of like, you know, backing up a little bit. Uh, but I thought it was important to put that because like I said, that relationship, that type of relationship in our community and lesbian community is not shown in a good light most times. Um, it's, it's either abusive, um, it's heartbreaking, um, it's the, the uh, masculine lesbian getting heartbroken by the bisexual, bi-curious femme. Um, so there's so much negativity that when I, when I decided to write these stories and any story that follows it, I'm always gonna represent lesbian love, especially lesbian black love in a positive light because it's important for me to not only see it, but to represent it, um, you know, to, to represent myself and my community. As a, as a bisexual black woman, it's hard because, you know, you have that you know, oh, she just wants her cake and eat it too. And they're represented so badly as well. So I'm, I'm trying to make sure every, every character I write, every, everyone I write about is able to be relatable to everyone within the community in some way, shape or form. I obviously appreciate that so much. And, um, you know, one of the th other things that we talked about that we really liked was that you, by also by linking the characters together being attacked by my cat, I'm sorry. By linking the characters together across the stories, you not only have, you not only show these folks in really in their romantic relationships and with their families, but you show these friendships. Like you 
by linking the characters, I don't know if you can talk a little bit about, if, is that important? Is the representation of lesbian relationships outside of our romantic relationships important? Definitely, definitely, because we are a tight community um, and friendships are something that kind of build our characters, um, also build who, how we interact with each other. Um, I think it's important that it's, it's someone that understands you. So having a friend within, you know, that's like you, um, it kind of makes life a little easier. Um, but also when it's not so easy, it helps make life livable. And friendship, especially close friendships, like what the three characters share um, is important. Um, I think within the black female community, period. Um, you know, sisterhood is is essential to the soul. <laughs> so it it is essential to show that as well in a light that is supportive and wonderful and loving. There was a really good mix of uh, biological and chosen family along with that. And it seems like a lot of times that the idea of what family is versus what friendship is especially in queer communities. Mm -hmm. Well, and in and, and queer communities, there's a lot of people who don't have that biological family supporting them. So their queer friends are their family. So it's important to have that um, and, ha and show that in a, in a way that's loving and, and wonderful. Along that same way, I think one of the things that I really appreciated in the book was um, even as it represented uh, our community very closely, the, the I, there wasn't an either or. Like a lot of times in reality, we have to choose between chosen family or real family. Where here, um, those relationships weren't fractured, and a lot of times they were, you know, supportive of the characters. Can you talk about your decision to, um, you know, have have strong familial backstories for? each of the characters where their family was present and also centering the friendships between the characters? Yes, um, in, in my family, we have several um, queer people in my family um, and we are all supportive and loving of each other. And I thought that it was important because there are a lot of stories where the family is fractured, where there's no support um, where the character is struggling with their identity and with themselves. Um, I'm actually working on a story now about a character that is going through all that. But I wanted, because the stories were fairy tales and loving, I wanted to make sure that the families were also loving and supportive as well. Um, in, the, in Beauty and the Beast, her father loved her um, and, and was going to sacrifice himself for her instead of sending her to the beast, he was going to stay. And that showed that love um, and she loved him enough to sacrifice herself to stay with the beast. Um, with Cinderella, uh, she, you know, there was a loving relationship with her and her father. Um, in Stiletto, Faith adored her mother, her mother adored her and they had that loving relationship and her mother accepted her no matter what. And with uh, Beast, um, Belinda's father, same thing, loving father and, and, you know, just wanted to be there for her. And Ebony had her sister, um, her mom, unfortunately there was that fracture there with her mom, but then that fracture actually made her into the beast that she was. So that was important to also show 
I mean, if she had the perfect loving family, it wouldn't be realistic to show her being so cold. And thank you for that, because I do feel like because we don't see ourselves represented, I feel like the small number of representations we do have people just think like, oh, oh, you're a black lesbian. That means your mother hates you. You know what I mean? Like yeah. <laughs> that means your family is, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Religious and tried to exercise you. And it's just like, no, my mother got her super convert conservative church to be reconciling. You know, I, yeah. so I really appreciate you bringing all of that in. And another theme that I want to talk about that princess already teased me about is this theme of the busy lady like the super busy person who's too busy for love. I don't have time for that. I have my career, I have my restaurant, I have whatever. So I don't know if you, I feel like that resonates with a lot of us. I don't know if you can talk about how you decided to, to have that. Because black women have to be super black women. Um, we have to be able to take care of the home, take care of the family, take care of work, be able to you know, have friends and, really, and it's, it's realistic. Um, it's it's in our community. It's why a lot of black men are saying, "Oh, you're just an angry black woman," but they don't realize we're not angry. We're tired. You know, we're stressed. We 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 need <laughs> we need a break, just like you do. You know, I mean, Cass had to get kidnapped to go on vacation. That's how bad life is for her. So it's, it's, it's important that, you know, once again, I try to make it realistic and try to make it so people could equate to that. You know, you're too busy for love, whether you're gay, straight or whatever, you just, as a woman with everything we have on our plates, love is like, what, what, where, you know, that's way back there. We'll deal with that later. Karen, you asked that just so you could be affirmed, right? I did. <laughs> a thousand percent. That is that is what this whole podcast project is about. And yes. And also, who, Jerry, was it you who said, like, if anybody wants to kidnap me on vacation, you just go ahead. Like, just, I'll give you, here are the keys to my apartment. Here are the clothes you should pack for me. I mean, that also, I, you want to talk about a fairy tale scenario? Having, some, having people in your life send you to Turks and Caicos and you don't even know where you're going. Yes, please. <laughs> A lot of people that we were talking to in the book club wanted to know if there's going to be more, like more fairy tales or also more continuation of the same group of characters. No, not with that same group of characters. I did write a somewhat, well, it's supposed to be a short story, but it ended up turning into a novella <laughs> for um, a anthology um, that my publishing company is working on. Um, it's for um, BIPOC queer writers. And it's based on um, a mermaid. So it's kind of a little mermaid twist. Um, so that will, <laughs> that will be coming out around January. And it's, 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 it's a short, shortish story. But other than that, uh, my next book is going to be historical that takes place during the, the Harlem Renaissance. So I'm, you know, I may go back to a, romance i'm not i mean to a fairy tale i'm not sure um originally um beast was supposed to be a full novel and the other characters kind of came to me and said hey no we want to be included you know so um i don't know yet i can't see writing a full novel on a fairy tale that's just because fairy tales aren't really full novels so i would probably have to do something like that where i did a trilogy and connected them somehow but i haven't you know thought about that yet 
just gonna put this out here. Mm-hmm. If you want to do like more fairy tales that figure out, mm-hmm. I think, and ten-year-old princess also thinks that <laughs> an Aladdin sequel would be amazing. I don't know how you would do it. I don't know if a genie would come into play. If you wanted, you know, a a big cat, Raja, Jafar. There's just a lot of ways to take it. And I feel like people would love to see two Black women, Jasmine and Aladdin. That's all I'm going to say. If you're already doing Little Mermaid, maybe there's like an oasis type thing. And then they're in like, Agrabah. I don't know. The Little Mermaid one was based was actually based on um, African folklore about mermaids. So, I mean, I could. I mean, genies are also within that African folklore. So maybe I'll think about it. I will definitely, you know, I have to say, princess's idea. reach out to me you know I'm here to help we can brainstorm we can put some things on the wall we can figure it out I'm just saying it'd be uh, you know there are people this is what the people want the the book club is like they need more stories and however we can help serve the readership is what we're here whatever I can do I will do my best to do it (laughs) please can you please this is the fourth time in two days we've heard about Aladdin I really please can you please can we commission something? I don't know how we make this happen for 10-year-old princess, but I feel like there's some inner child work that's happening here. That you can really help us with. The world is ending, Karen. I think. I'm, hey, there's no judgment. There's no judgment. Because you might have to write it for yourself too. I know. Part of the podcast somehow. Well, it's, see, you've got my mind working. It's an intriguing idea. It's uh, just the seed. You just drop the seed in the soil. Yeah, water exactly. it a little bit. That's let it all. let it germinate for a while because there's two other plants growing at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to get these all, you know, harvested, and then we'll be good to go. So one of the things that I I will admit that I do a lot when I'm reading stories like this is um I try to imagine what the movie would be like. I don't know if anybody else has this issue, but I don't. <laughs> so have you, cat? I mean, I have a very specific idea of who's playing who in each of these stories. I don't know if you want to tip your hand at all and talk about like. Well, first of all, when I write my stories and people, my family says, Leslie, that just means you're a little crazy, but I dream my stories. I don't, they don't, you know, I don't just start writing and come up with something my characters come to me in dreams and they tell me their story and, and what they want me to put on paper. And I never know, once I start a story, I don't know when it's, how it's gonna end. So if, you're, if I'm working on something, someone says, well, what's, how are you gonna end it? I don't know. It's whatever the characters tell me. Um, for instance, like one story I'm working on, it was originally started out as a semi-autobiographical and the character said, no, this is about me. Whatever happened to you, we'll kind of, you know, steer in somewhat in that direction, but no, and it's going off in a whole different tangent. But for this story, I definitely, definitely, I would love to see this on Netflix as three little series or something. And the only, only one I've casted was uh, Beast and Tessa Thompson as Belinda and um, Lena, um, Lena Waithe as uh, Beast. (laughs) 
Oh. You course Lena's beast. Yes, yes. Yeah, she's beast. Yes. That's the, that's the only one I've, I've cast it in my head right now. I approve. Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I will say, I y'all are going to judge me, but that's fine. So Twilight came to Stephanie Meyer in a dream. She dreamt that the you've read or seen Twilight, the meadow, there's that meadow, the whole thing where they go to the meadow and Edward's shining and whatever that she dreamt that and she built the whole series around that one dream she had. So I feel like that's common. Could be, could be. My character sort of, I know of one book, my characters were, I was sitting on a, and it might've been Beast. I was sitting on a um, brownstone stairs um, like probably up in Harlem or Brooklyn or something. And B sat down next to me and started telling me her story. So, it, you know, could be. <laughs> if it's common, then I don't feel so weird. <laughs> uh, so one thing that we have been exploring uh, this season in our episodes uh, with each uh, author that we talk to is uh, categorizing erotic feminist uh mm-hmm. what makes uh erotica feminist what things in stories uh you know what boxes do you need to check to necessarily uh name a story or a book as uh, erotic feminist and as we were talking about the book i think um a lot of the readers in the book club were kind of leaning more towards romance but i'm wondering how would you categorize uh femtales and then do you consider it feminist and how so? Or have you thought about that? When I submitted Femtales, I submitted it as a romance. Um, the publisher thought it was more erotic romance. And I guess because I'm more explicit with my love scenes um, than just a general romance book would be. And I hadn't really thought about it being feminist until I had your guys' invitation. And I said, well, I guess it would be because I've turned classic fairy tales with weak women, flipped it on its head and gave it strong female characters. And I guess in a way that would be considered feminist because the characters are not weak and submissive. They're strong women who speak their mind, who live the life they choose to live and who live the way they wanna live. And I guess if that makes someone a feminist, then I guess that's a feminist um, erotic romance. I, that and that absolutely goes along with our definition. You, we at, we've been asking people this whole season. We have a Google form. We ask people to fill out. We ask them during interviews, and I I think all of that absolutely goes along with what other people say. And um, you know, Rachel, Rachel, I always smush her name together, but <laughs> Rachel um, was saying, you know, the question really you're asking is what is feminist sex, and that just sends you down a whole other rabbit hole and I, I just I I'm excited about this project because I feel like we get to explore all of these different things and obviously talk about creators with them too who who do you read and who are you inspired by let's see I originally started reading Beverly Jenkins she was my original inspiration because I hadn't seen black romances until I started reading her and Sherlyn Clark um, was one of my first uh, lesbian romances that I read. Well, one of my first positive lesbian romances that I read. 
Um, and I'm discovering some new um, authors. There's a uh, uh, Kaylin, I forgot her name. She wrote Cinderella is Dead. You have to read that. You have to read that. Cinderella is Dead. Um, <laughs> it's based on, once again, a fairy tale. So, <laughs> but it's a, you know, nice turnaround. And then also, I just um, picked up Candace Elo, um, who actually wrote, I haven't started reading it, I'm supposed to start reading it this weekend, um, but she actually wrote her entire novel in verse. And it's, I think it would fit along within your category of feminist fiction. So, but those are, those are the people I'm reading and, and who, you know, kind of inspired me. What's the um, publishing journey been like for you? It's been tough. Previously, I used to write het romances, heterosexual romances, and I got turned down left and right because it would always be, oh, great story, but not what we're looking for right now. I don't know if it's because they were Black characters, because um, every time, everything I've ever written has been African-American characters. Self-publishing, uh, that empties your pockets pretty quickly. So I, the self-publishing didn't quite work out. And then I submitted to Bowstroke Books uh, a year ago. It took me a year to submit um, because I was already feeling like, you know, no one's going to want to read my stuff and who would want to read because I can't get anybody to, you know, publish it. So when they did sent me the letter and told me they were interested and published the book, I was like, yes. So it, the publishing for the past year has been wonderful. I feel good writing. I'm inspired to write more. Um, I'm, I'm trying to keep up a quota of at least putting out two books a year. That's probably a big, high number, but I've, I've got a lot of backlog <laughs> of stories because I waited so long. Um, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy right now. And what has the reception been to your book? Have you done other book club chats? Like how have you, how has it been interacting with readers? Um, I haven't, this is the first book club chat I've done, um, but <laughs> but I have uh, done a lot of virtual conferences and events, which honestly, that's the only good thing about the pandemic is that all the events that I would have, that I've done virtually, I wouldn't have been able to fly to, you know, I, I, Virtually, I've been to South Africa, Australia, the UK. <laughs> so I've, I've been worldwide. Um, and this, the book has gotten great feedback. Um, people seem to love it. Um, I, I hate saying that because I feel like I'm bragging, um, but it's, it's done. Absolutely brag. Absolutely <laughs> brag. That's what the segment is for. Well, I, I, it's, it has really surprised me how quickly this has been picked up. And not just with the African-American community, but um, non-Black folks have been reading this. Um, uh, men have been reading this. Women have been reading this. Straight folks have been. So I'm like, wow. <laughs> I, I never thought I would be able to reach so many people with, with three stories. You know, it's, it, it amazes me and it, it humbles me and, um, Especially, you know, I'm 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 53 years old, and you know, I'm I'm I feel like I'm starting just starting my life again. So, Sam, <laughs> we have been sitting here talking about your book, acting like we like each other, and then you're gonna sit up and lie and talk to us about 
53 years old. I'm 53 um, years old with two grown children. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I echo that, yes. And I will say, I hope that inspires people that you don't have to, you know, if I hear, no offense to all of you out there, but if I hear the word millennial one more time in my life, you y'all are not the only people who exist in the world. You're not the only people buying things. You're not the only people doing things. So I'm gratified that you are on this journey and that you're not one of them. It's never, I feel like it's never too late. You are never too old. It's never too late um, to start over, to start something new, to live your dream. Um, I, I had wanted to play football since I was five years old and didn't play, start playing until I was 42. So, you know, it's never too late to live your dream. So, uh, you know, if you're out there and you're just like, oh, well, it's too late. I don't have a story. I have a story in me, but I don't think anybody's going to want to read it. You don't know that unless you go out there and you, you write it, write it, give it to your friends, see what they say. If your friends like it, someone else is going to like it too. So don't, don't let age stop you. Don't let, you know, your situation stop you, your, your environment, the pandemic, (laughs) especially now this, I do a lot of writing right now. So, you know, this, I, I just hope that someone out there can see me and be like, okay, you know what, if she can do it, then hey, so can I. Well, and I think that that's common, especially of, of women writers that have had to raise kids. Uh, there's, I get, there's a tradition of that, of starting late because of the caretaking role, you know, and there's, there's something problematic about that tradition, but also beautiful about being a part of it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, and I started writing when my daughter was a teenager and my son was about two or three, but I didn't really write a lot until he was older in school and, you know, she was pretty much in high school and, but, you know, I didn't come into my own until this. So, um, you know, you're right. It's, you're so, you're so focused on family and home life and taking care of your kid and take care of your family that something like that which is, you know, kind of seems like an afterthought and selfish to do because it's something you enjoy. It's the passion of yours. And, but you, you know, well, but my kids need this and, you know, my spouse needs that. And so it's, it's difficult to make the decision to to take that step. So, and unfortunately, like you said, a lot of women are waiting till later, but there are a lot of millennials coming out now. And I know you didn't want to hear that. No, you didn't want to hear that. But Gen Zs and Millennials, <laughs> a lot of them are starting to really like decide that, okay, maybe, maybe our story is worth telling. So I think this younger generation is inspiring a lot more people to tell stories. Yeah, and I, again, and I'm a little embarrassed to quote, I mean, I appreciate her. Elizabeth Gilbert, I feel like, is maybe the one I'm getting this from, this idea that it's actually more selfish to not share this, that the universe is trying to co-create with you. And it's more selfish to not put that out into the world because yes, you're inspiring people, you're making people so happy. And, you know, I feel like that's also important. I just want to make people happy. That's why there's always happy endings. I never have anything end on an unhappy ending. That's just, no. (laughs) We have enough of that in life. 
small plug, uh, Rebellious Magazine, um, my column is hosting a talk about um, menopause and women, uh, perimenopause. Not I just put it women. on my calendar. Oh, nice. Thank you. I already put it on the calendar <laughs> because I've hit that stage. <laughs> you uh, see me while going like this. <laughs> uh, oh, so, my God. Okay. Can we, can we, are you doing anything for the, because okay, yes. I'm having it too. I don't Estrogen. like it. Estrogen. Really? Yes. Okay. Sorry, Jared. <laughs> you did that moment. Um, Folks around, around that age are having a life experience that doesn't get talked about a lot. And then the other portion of that is this concept of the crone, of uh, this like later age in people's lives where, so to me, the beautiful idea of the crone is that like teaching the people that come before you, the things that you don't know about. I'm struggling here because like of the like gender issues around it but I really like this idea that like you get to a, a stage in life and you become a teacher but you only can become a teacher if you're vocal about your experience you know yeah um does that resonate at all about like that imperative to to speak about desire and relationships the things that like oh definitely yeah definitely um I think it's important that we talk to especially at my age I try and like with my, especially with my son and daughter, my daughter's 33. <laughs> and, you know, she's, she's still, you know, trying to find herself. She's still, you know, out there living her life and living her best life. Um, fortunately, I'm not a grandmother yet. I look forward to it, but I'm not, I'm not a grandmother yet. Um, and, but I try and pass down what I can to her so that she can, be a secure and strong black woman. It, it's difficult because my mom's generation didn't talk about that stuff. If you listen to Michelle Obama, you, she's got a podcast where she talks about that. How a lot of our gener, our, you know, our our the mothers in our generation, you know, you didn't talk about any of that stuff. You know, you didn't talk about the, the monthly flows. You didn't talk about um, what to expect, you know, with, with menopause or what to expect, you know, on, it's just, it's difficult to be able to, to pass that along to your children if you weren't talked about it with. And a lot of it I had to learn as I went along. And so I made sure to start at an early age with my daughter. She was eight when we first started having the talk and we would renew that talk every year. Um, but I also, as she got older, I talked to her about passion. I talked to her about love. I talked to her about sex and the importance of, you know, feeling comfortable in your body and feeling comfortable in telling your partner what they want, um, what she wants. So it's, it's definitely important to be, and I would, you know, I'm proud to be 53. I'm proud to be aging. Um, and I'll, I'll probably say I'm a crone. <laughs> And I'm trying to pass my little nugget of wisdoms down to whomever I can, my nieces, my children, daughters of friends, you know, things like that. But it's, it is important. Also, I mean, one of the things that I feel like I appreciate so much about Jarrah's column, which is called Just the Tip, by the way, mm -hmm. um, sex and relationship advice. One of the things I appreciate so much is this notion of adult sex ed, that you're absolutely right, that no, none of us are really other than your daughter, who I hope appreciates how lucky she is, none of us are really having these conversations in an age-appropriate way from adults. We're, we're learning these things from other 
ridiculous, disgusting children. So I, I feel like I, I really appreciate that notion that, again, it's never too late to learn any of these things. And yeah. yeah. Our life is, but you, there's, you are, you never stop learning. As long as you age, you are going to learn something. Um, so whether it's you're going for your education, whether you're going for a degree, whether you're, you know, life lessons, you're always learning. There's always a lesson to be learned from an experience in your life. If you're heartbroken, learn from it. Um, if, if you get sick, you know, learn and you, and you survive it, learn from it. Um, you lose your job, learn from it. You get a new job. Learn. So there's, there's always something going on in your life that is going to teach you something. And I take everything that happens in my life as a moment to learn and to grow. What did you learn from writing this book? I learned, strangely enough, self-acceptance. While I was writing this book, um, because it took two years to finish it, and the book started from kind of kind of rose out of ashes of heartbreak. So you know, with heartbreak came, I need something positive. So the the book came, you know, the stories came about, and that and that's one reason why Beast is. Don't tell the other characters, but Beast is my favorite. You know, Ebony's my favorite. <laughs> because she's been through it and you know and I hadn't gone through the heartbreak that she went through it was a different kind of heartbreak but still it was heartbreak and she rose from the ashes and she became the story so I learned about myself I learned self-acceptance I learned how beautiful and wonderful I am um, as a black queer woman and that there is nothing wrong with me and who I am. Uh, so that's, that's the biggest lesson that I learned. And I really feel like that comes through in the stories. I feel like that, you know, all of the characters and all of their journeys, I feel like you can feel that. I mean, I'm sorry to hear you went through that, but I also feel like you can- <laughs> The lesson. <laughs> <laughs> right. It, that is, I feel like one reason it resonates so much with so many of us is that you can really feel that journey Thank in you. there. Thank you. Where can people find more of your work? Uh, right now, um, the only book out is Fin Tales. Um, I have another one coming out, like I said, Masquerade, um, which is coming. That's the 1920s um, uh, Harlem Renaissance romance. Um, and that's coming out February. Um, I have a short story coming out in Lesfic Eclectic. Um, which I believe is also, everything's coming out around winter and that's coming out, but that'll be in the UK, but there'll be, um, I'll be sure to spread word about that because um, it'll be eBooks only <laughs> and the money goes to charity. Um, and then I have, um, I worked on the project, like I said, for Bullstroke Books, it's called In Our Words and um, it's a black indigenous people of color short story, queer short stories and, and works. Um, and I got to pick the stories. I got to read stories from other um, writers and help pick the stories for the book and also add my own. So I have a story coming in there, um, but that, that's it for now. And then I'm working on something, hopefully they'll be out next fall. That's wonderful. And of course the screenplay for Netflix for the series. <laughs> yes, I just have to find a screenplay writer. I actually slid into Lena Waithe's DM 
and offered to send her the book just so she could. I didn't want. I didn't want her to do anything else but just read it. She never answered me back. <laughs> I mean, can you send it to her, Princess? This one's notorious for like. I mean, I don't know if you want to describe <laughs> some of your interactions with people you admire. No. If you have some advice, just just email me. You have my email. Email me. <laughs> just send it. Like find her publicist and just send it. That's and yeah. that's that's what I that's what I was thinking of doing. Um, because I I would love for her. I mean, if if she wants to play Ebony, that's fine. If she wants to make the move, the, you know, produce it, direct it, that's fine. <laughs> We're putting it out there. We're putting it out yes. there. Yes, yes. But I definitely, I would, I definitely, definitely love to see that on the screen. This, that's those stories. Yeah. Because actually I had planned on doing for my, when I had my book premiered, I had actors that were playing the parts. So we did, instead of doing a reading, I was actually going to do little mini shows. But then literally the day of my book premiere, COVID-19, everything shut down. I had to cancel the day of that was March 13th, the day of. <laughs> oh, wait, but okay. Now you could do a virtual table read. The table reads, that's the whole, well, that's, that's the new that, thing. That's that's what I'm gonna probably do is the table read. <laughs> oh, and the last, okay, the last thing on your to-do list, just because we're those people, oh, um, 10-year-old princesses, Aladdin story. That's the last. Yes. Okay, great. Aladdin, yeah. African mythology, Little Mermaid, multiverse together i'll and figure something out send me, <laughs> send me your email princess if I a word. as a beta reader i want you to be ready <laughs> we have nothing but time we have nothing but time i am here well this has been lovely thank you so much again thank for joining you. Thank, thank you for having me and for reading my book and i'm i'm so happy to hear everyone enjoyed it yeah I yeah all right. Thank you all. Have a thank good you. rest of your Friday evening. Yes, thank you so much. It's so good to meet you. Thank you, you so much, Anne. Thank you. Bye. Feminist Erotica is a podcast from Rebellious Magazine for Women, hosted by Jara Brown, Princess McDowell, and Karen Hawkins. If you have an idea for a future episode or want to share your thoughts, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at feministerotica at rebelliousmagazine.com. Follow us on Instagram at Feminist Erotica Podcast, on Facebook at Feminist Erotica, and on Twitter at Feminist Erotic. And make sure you subscribe to us wherever you devour podcasts.